Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Welcome to TV Talkaholics for August 2022. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. <laughs> Is that your Lucy voice? <laughs> I'm doing my Lucy voice. <laughs> when you think of her legacy, what she left behind in the twilight years of her career, as Ken Reed so affectionately calls it, scary Lucy. Oof. It's true. It really is. And uh, anyway, we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we're going to be, I'm still giggling at your, your salutation to me. Sorry. <laughs> you have to do the whole show. You do <laughs> in that voice. But we are going to be talking about Life with Lucy, the short-lived and oft-maligned final TV series venture of television royalty, first lady of television, in fact, Lucille Ball. I don't think anybody's ever said it like that before, David. It's always, it's never, we're going to talk about life with Lucy. It's always, we're going to talk about life with Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, my Sorry, sorry, that's the last one. Sorry. No, no, sorry. I want it a hundred more times. Of <laughs> uh, in in the four hours of discussion I project oh, we have Jesus. on this. Oh my God, so much to talk about. Um, the episodes are all on YouTube. We want to thank YouTube user Jonathan Cox. Uh, <clears throat> no comment uh, for posting all of them on YouTube and somehow not getting caught by the uh, royalties and rights police. I don't know how they're there, but they're there. Um, but, uh, yeah, the series didn't run very long. It ran from 1986 to 1986. It was, uh, it was supposed to be this big, great, grand return. Lucy's returning. I remember a full page ad in TV guide with a handwritten note from her, like saying, I'm thrilled to tell you, I'm, I'm thrilled to tell you I'm going to have a new show and, you know, inviting you to come and watch it and all, all that stuff. And, and it was, it was just such a, such a disappointment and just across the board, everybody hated it. it everybody ran, hated it. Yeah. Uh, it was, let me see, it actually ran from September 20th, 86 to November 15th of 86. And uh, this is from fandom.com and also some of it from Wikipedia. This is just the, the synopsis of the show. Uh, Ball played a widowed grandmother who had inherited her husband's half interest in a South Pasadena, California hardware store. The other half being owned by his partner, Curtis McGibbon, played by Gail Gordon. She insisted on, quote unquote, helping in the store, even though when her husband was alive, she had taken no part in the business and hence knew nothing about it. The unlikely partners were also in-laws, her daughter being married to his son, and all of them, along with their young grandchildren, lived together. Fourteen episodes were written, thirteen were filmed, and only eight 
were actually aired. Ooh, I wonder what happened to the 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 missing episodes. Yeah, because all 13 are on YouTube and the two we're about to discuss never actually ran on broadcast TV, which is Oh, so they are out there then. Yeah. So just that singular one that was written that they never filmed. That that would be interesting to see that uh script for that one that was <laughs> that I'm was... sure it's very different. Um I'm sure it has nothing to do with Lucy getting into a wacky predicament and <laughs> and everything being fine by the end of the episode. Yeah, some type of physical humor. They they never would stoop to that. That's no. for sure. Um, and just the last thing you see uh, on the fandom wiki and the Wikipedia is, unlike Lucy's previous smash hits on television, it was a critical and popular flop. Reportedly, its failure so deeply hurt Lucille Ball that she never completely recovered from it, convinced that the public no longer wanted her. <sighs> yeah. Uh, Tutti Fruities, if you're listening, I hope you've watched some of these. I hope you really had a chance to at least get a taste of what the show was. It just it, This is when it, she went on The Tonight Show after it got aired and was like crying about it. Like, mm. they don't want me anymore. And it's like, just Jesus Christ, Lucy. You egomaniac, for Christ's sake. <laughs> was it The Tonight Show or was it? Uh, what was it? Joan, Joan Rivers, Rivers hosting something. the Tonight Show. It might have been Jones <clears throat> Show because didn't Jones Show premiere in that same? I think, th- think by that time it could have been Merv Griffin. It could have been Joan Rivers. By this, no, time- it was Joan. It was definitely Joan. I'm just wondering if it was Tonight Show substitute teacher Joan Rivers or Jones Show, because it was around that time that she jumped ship. But there is an interview. And by the way, I tried to find that. I wanted to watch it again. The one of her, just I mean, here's the deal. You know, we have the funny ladies of television, the funny ladies of television. There are the funny ladies that you see them on a talk show and you're like, eh, you know, Tracy Ullman, when she used to be on Letterman, she was a fucking riot. Amy Sedaris is never not entertaining. But, you know, when Jennifer Aniston goes on on Oprah, even even Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know, women who are known for playing comedy aren't always necessarily comedic and, uh, you know, a one-person entertainment machine. And looking at interviews of Lucy, particularly in the later years, <laughs> Lucy was the same way. Lucy just was kind of like, yep, I'm here. Yep, what do you want to talk about? Yep, we did some great shows. Yeah. Oh, I remember the first script for the Lucy <laughs> show. It stunk. I made him rewrite it over lunch. Uh, you know, there there was never a lightness and, and and a sense of whimsy about Lucy when she was just being herself. Yeah. Well, a very different person than, I mean, B. Arthur the same way. True. B. Arthur's not great on talk shows because she was a nervous wreck on talk shows. She yeah, because she was very shy them. and nervous. Yeah. Lucy right. was just more like, you know, she she learned to start, a, you know, taking in all the adoration, clearly with how many bows she would take and all that. But... Um, But that episode with Joan Rivers, where she is, you know, already not like Lucy's coming out and we're expecting a laugh riot, you know, and Joan was good with her. Joan interviewed her multiple times and they had a good rapport. And, you know, Lucy would laugh at some of Joan's quips and things like that. So, you know, I'm not saying she was, you know, dead weight out there, but to add that 
to, to add to that, the layer of I, I've never been hurt that much before. I've never felt so much pain. I never to find out my public doesn't want me anymore. And and poor Joe of all people, Joan Rivers being like, oh, <laughs> well, you know, you still have your, your wonderful legacy. No, you know, your fans love you. I mean, when when Joan Rivers is fighting to make the whole experience a positive one, <laughs> it's a very bizarre twist of fate. But well, that oh had to God. be weird. That had to be weird for Joan, because you've got the woman sitting across from you that without her, you wouldn't be possible. Ding. Telling yep. you, oh, nobody wants me anymore. You know, it, that that had to be like, ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't find it. Tutti Fruities, uh, listeners, if you find that, I went on YouTube and I could find the other interviews that Joan did with Lucy, including one uh, on The Tonight Show where Lucy was, uh, interesting, there's one from 85 where Joan says, do you ever want to get back to it? Do you miss doing it? Nope, never would go back to it. Nope. After all we did and all our successes, there's just no way I'd ever want to try to do cut to a year later. It's her plugging the show and then cut to a year after that. <laughs> Everyone's abandoned me. I can't do that Lucy voice. It will shred my vocal cords. So I'll have did, to leave that to you today, dear. Did you do like any research? What did they throw at her to do this? I mean, was she making like a million dollars an episode what like what was the deal that finally made her be like, yep, let's do this? Uh, complete creative control. At the end of the show, you notice it says a Lucille Ball production oh. with with Aaron Spelling and Douglas S. Kramer. Yeah. It's literally they had to give her complete creative control, which she had on her other shows. So it's not like she was that was that big an ask. Uh, but then. Uh, you know, Aaron Spelling and Douglas S. Kramer, no slouches. And apparently they had pulled some writers from MASH that they wanted to bring in. Uh, I don't know what that would have been like, but as far as the, well, no, the writers on MASH knew how to fucking write comedy. That's for sure. But Lucy insisted what? She wanted to bring in Bob and Madeline, two of the three original writers from all the way back to my favorite husband, which is yeah. the radio version before I love Lucy. Uh, it's like these, you know, she's 75 here and these writers are probably older than she is. Yeah. And they're the ones they are credited with creating the show because they wrote the pilot. Uh, but ew, it's, it's just complete creative control. And while we're talking about behind the scenes things, she of course is like, I have to have Gail. I can't do it without Gail Gordon, 80 year old Gail Gordon. Yeah. You know what they did to have to get him out of retirement? He demanded an entire season of pay, regardless of whether the show ran or not. <laughs> so he got paid for a full season of 22 episodes, <laughs> even though it didn't run that long. Cause he was like, I'm, I'm 80. I'm fucking please. Really? You need you you need me to be the one to set up your pratfalls, really. Um, and not that they're not great together; they're wonderful together. But anyway, um, we're we're kind of meandering all over the place with the facts and bits. And for that, I don't apologize because I have so many notes and thoughts. So let me get into some nuts and boltsy things, partially just to start running down my notes and make them all 
uh, go away. Do it, because I have no notes. I just sat there and watched aghast two episodes. <laughs> So I just had mentioned the uh, other producers, Aaron Spelling and Douglas S. Kramer. If you don't know those names, people, yes, you do. You know those names and you know the work they've done. Douglas S. Kramer had produced Star Trek, Mission Impossible, The Brady Bunch, Wonder Woman. Aaron Spelling had produced The Mod Squad, The Rookies, Starsky and Hutch, and a little TV show that was a little popular in the 70s, Charlie's Angels. And and both of them have a fuck ton of credits that precede that. Like they worked their way through the business when they finally made it to the point of being in creative control of their own projects. And and Aaron Spelling, younger generations know him. Millennials know uh, Aaron Spelling because uh, in the 90s, he did Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, and Charmed. Yeah, that resurgence in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, so the two of them had worked together previously on a couple of shows, you know, uh, The Love Boat, Dynasty, you know, little projects that made them a couple fucking billion dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, really and truly putting them together and saying, do a show with Lucy and with their success, that was part of what I think lured her to was she was like, well, I've got these producers on my side. It was for ABC. Uh, and, uh, he, and in an interview on IMDB, it says, uh, Aaron Spelling later regretted that he gave Lucy complete creative control because the complete creative control she insisted on included no pilot approval and no audience testing. And granted, those things can get in the way. Those things can be part of the too many cooks that end up in the kitchen that can ruin a good show. But here, clearly, this probably could have benefited from, at the very least, some punch-ups and some recasting of the supporting players. <laughs> the supporting players. That's a that's a generous term. <laughs> Uh, in my research for this, I was looking for some graphics and uh, I found a TV guide cover and it states two old favorites return to television with a picture of Lucy in her like jogging workout gear and next to her, Andy Griffith. Because there's this brand new show that he was about to start doing that same season called Matlock. Yeah. That had to hurt even more that they welcomed Andy Griffith back and not her. Ugh. But it, it, let's compare and contrast, shall we? <laughs> what was Andy Griffith known for? He was known for playing a small town, southern, simple folk sheriff in a small town of wacky characters. So what is he not doing in Matlock? Playing small town, southern cop and stuff. In Matlock, he's an attorney. And it's essentially a drama. It's not a comedy. And it's a single camera show. Uh, though Andy Griffith was a single camera, but it was a comedy with a laugh track. I mean, this was a complete change of pace. So it's like, yeah, Andy Griffith, he's not trying to recapture that thing that he already did successfully. And that is grossly out of step with our culture in 1986. Because that's really, I think, what the show's biggest sin is. 
I'm not sure the quality of it is as bad as everyone says it was and is and remembers it to be. I really think it's just that it was so completely old hat for 1986. I think that's the the, the worst sin of this series. Well, and see, not to interrupt the nuts and bolts or anything. No, no, like, please. I need you to I talk just, more. <laughs> I was just, I was going to say like, I wanted us to both kind of state what was wrong with the show. And I just, I don't have the words for it. I don't have, nothing comes, like you can't really pinpoint what's wrong with it. It's just clunky. It's just, it's just uncomfortable. She's, and this sounds so terrible, but she's so old Mm -hmm. that, it just that shouldn't have even been the character and so i it just i like i said i watched it with my mouth open like why is why did this even happen why did she think this was okay yeah i agree with you in that it's like well it's a little clunky but what sitcom isn't i'm i'm gonna say it matthew i don't think this show is as bad as everyone uh, uh Comparatively to other shows that were on in 1986, when you've got like Alf and Small Wonder and all those horrible sitcoms. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's exactly the same. No, but the most popular shows in 1986 were Cosby Show, Cheers, and, and Night Court, Golden Girls. Like, you know, definitely a much more modern spin. Shows that did not rely on slapstick anymore. And I'm just going to say it. I enjoyed these as much as I enjoy watching a rerun of The Lucy Show or Here's Lucy. And not because I love those shows, because I think those shows also are kind of clunky and creaky and starting starting to get out of step with the times. And And yeah. I think this is just more of the same. It's just... You know, that when did Here's Lucy go off TV? Like 72, maybe? 73? 74. 74. So the fact that this is, you know, 12 years later, when, you know, you could argue Here's Lucy, she was already past her prime. And let's let's not get personal about this. Her comedy and what she did was already past its prime. I look at this and I'm like, if you just lump this into a DVD collection with those other two series and showed it to somebody, it's like, this is all technically the same show. It's just the lady with the red hair is scarier looking. I think the show has aged well in that now that we look at it as a quote unquote old sitcom, it's like, yeah, fine. We're not comparing it to other shows. Case in point, it was run on Saturday nights at eight o'clock, opposite the facts of life, with four young girls around 20 years old running a color splash Spencer's gift store with synthesized music and you know storylines about <laughs> about fucking and <clears throat> things like that. You know what I mean? It's like <clears throat> I yeah. I think it plays better now because it is not surrounded with all of the things that just highlighted how completely old hat it was. Even in TV Guide, I remember there was a like a year-end wrap-up, like the, what do they call it? TV's Winners and Losers. 
They started doing those in the 80s. And one of the losers was Life with Lucy. And I remember, I can see the type in my mind's eye clear as day. All it said was, too sad for words. Mm. And in thinking of it, it's like, but it's that that doesn't say anything. That doesn't say what? What is too sad for words? Is it just the ageism? Is it just, you know, what I was talking to Philip Nolan about this, our, our dear friend, friend of the pod. And Philip said uh, that he remembers the show and he said to him, he thinks of it as uh, a disturbing reminder of our own mortality. <laughs> that it's just, this is more of the same. Yes, it's more of the same of Lucy, but she's just older, just like she was older in 74 compared to 64 when you were watching the Lucy show back then it's just the fact that you know our idols are aging a lot and so are we and and well and and here i'm just going down through my notes to see what else i had to say next next thing i put is the theme song you want something that tells you instantaneously this show does not belong in the time and place where it exists when you have a swing band theme song sung by edie gourmet in 1986, really? The era of, you know, sha-la-la-la, but we've been together for a million. You know, when all of the theme songs were pop tunes, you know, Bosom Buddies at the beginning of the 80s literally was Billy Joel's, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. It's like, it's just this, every day is better than before. It's like, oh, Edie Gourmet has a beautiful voice. I love Edie Gourmet. Not when I'm watching sitcoms in primetime in 1986, I don't. <sighs> okay, what other shows was on with her? Before, before we judge the, the style of the, of the thing. Yeah, well, here's the deal. They did think on ABC, Golden Girls is popular right now. And uh, Bill Cosby, technically the Cosby show was a return to TV because Cosby had already had two different series that were considered successful in their time. They just didn't really rerun much. So the idea of, oh, we could bring back Lucy and putting her on at eight o'clock on Saturdays actually was kind of smart because it's like, then they can skip over to the Golden Girls, whoever the Golden Girls audience is, would likely be into Lucy as well. Um, so yeah, so it was on ABC. It was followed at 8.30 by The Ellen Burstyn Show, which was another, uh, not nearly as good as it could have, should have been. And that show is notable that Elaine Stritch played Ellen Burstyn's mother, uh, who, and she was only like seven years older. And uh, I believe Megan Mullally played her daughter, a pre-Will and Grace Megan Mullally. So, yeah. And then those two, you know, comedies based on older women, they followed that at nine o'clock with Heart of the City, which was a crime drama. So it's like, what, huh? Huh. So now opposite Lucy on CBS was a crime drama called Downtown. And listen to this cast, Michael Nouri, Robert Englund, Millicent Martin, Mariska Hargitay, and Blair Underwood. Mm. So it's this is all, you know, Mariska pre-SVU, Blair Underwood pre-LA Law. 
it's it's really interesting to be like interest had this show run a long time what would these other shows have been but but that was a crime drama from eight to nine and then i forget what was on at nine it might have been a movie or something and then uh, on fox they had a series based on the movie down and out in beverly hills i didn't even know that existed didn't run more than one season i don't think starred hector elizondo and anita morris and then at 8 30 it was the new adventures of bean baxter which was a teenage spy drama so it's honestly the biggest show that lucy was competing with was the facts of life at that point that was the most successful of all of these shows and uh oof, it did really well in its first weeks but it just it, you know the ratings slipped uh, drastically and regularly. So, um, yeah. So before I go into the cast of this series, why don't we just remind everybody why we're here? The facts of life adjacent quotient. <laughs> we're going to be talking about episode nine, which is called Lucy and the Guard Goose. And that features uh, actor Charles Levin. We saw Charles Levin as Looney Lou in season eight, episode 14 of The Facts of Life, post-Christmas card, that's the one where Natalie was overspending with her credit cards and then the dude appears on TV with the word processor that she realizes she has to have. Yeah. So that was Looney Lou, uh, Charles Levin. And episode 13 features Michael Zorek, whom we have talked about and laughed about on three occasions now where he played Victor on The Facts of Life in two episodes in season six, Slices of Life, as a frat boy pizza connoisseur, Talk, 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 as a too drunk to go on the radio, uh, frat boy, same character, two episodes. And of course, we loved him in the wonderful 1983 TV movie, High School USA. So basically, we had to do kind of a stretch to get a facts of life adjacent um, aspect of this. Um, well, a stretch is a very strong word, Matthew. I like to call it a um, necessary manipulation. But there are only two facts of life um, things in facts of life adjacent things in these episodes, but there are three golden girls, David. Three Golden Girls um, crossovers. What? There are three. Three. Shut the fuck. I, I did not know that. I wasn't paying attention to that. Oh, my God. That's great for our Golden Girls fans. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be really excited by that. So, yeah, that's why that's why we are here. And we just want to talk about Life with Lucy. Yeah. Um, I watched several episodes. I didn't just watch these two. And I've got to say, um, again, back to the the old hat, the fact that the writing was so of the earlier era that Lucy did in the old days. In episode one, when Lucy is starting to be a pain in the ass with the hardware store and being a thorn in Gail Gordon's side, uh, she takes a big tarp off of a gigantic machine. And he's like, what is that? And she says, it's a new industrial-sized fire extinguisher. 
and I shit you not, you hear the audience all go, oh, like, <laughs> as in, oh, that is going to go off before we are done. That That is the checkoff gun. You present a gun in act one, as Chekhov said, you have to fire the gun in act two. This was literally where the audience went, oh, well, it's very clear what's going to be happening now. <laughs> so did you notice that? Did you did you watch episode one? And did you watch any more of the episodes than the the, the I, fine I, ones? I watched episode one just to see, remind myself what the whole setup was. And yeah. I didn't want to show up and see episode nine and be like, who are these people? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to put it together. But yeah, I watched episode one. <laughs> episode two, of course, had a guest spot from your favorite, John Ritter. <sighs> <laughs> she she loved John Ritter. She yes. loved Three's Company because what was he doing? He, Her he was, style of comedy. Yeah, no, absolutely. He was kind of the the uh, carrier of the torch, as it were. Um, so uh, no, that perfectly made sense. And honestly, I think he was charming in the episode. I think it was cute. That was episode two. So let's talk about the cast, shall we? Interestingly enough, I had been watching. Um, the buzzer channel as a do and it was celebrity password and it was betty white and estelle getty up against up against lucy and to me i was like who is this poor girl that is having to suffer through lucille ball playing password like this had to i want to hear her stories and then i realized oh it was ann dusenberry from Life with Lucy. So I was like, oh, so so she's used to scary Lucy. Okay. (laughs) This isn't just her wacky fucking day out the password with Lucy where she's going to have stories for the rest of her life. Oh, my God. She's from Life with Lucy. So I I felt better knowing that because I was really like, I need to talk to Ann Dusenberry. I want to (laughs) know. Well, you could probably talk to Ann Dusenberry. It says that she received an M.A., a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, but currently works as the artistic director for the Actors Conservatory Theater in Santa Barbara. So she's still out there, still clearly doing theater. And, you know, a degree in marriage and family therapy, that'll serve you well if you're dealing with actors on a regular basis. You and I know that. Yeah. That's something that'll come in handy. That and working with the um, mentally challenged also, I think is <laughs> probably not a bad idea if you want to go into producing. But uh, in addition to her, of course, we talked about Gail Gordon. <laughs> this is the perfect, anytime anyone asks about the mid-Atlantic accent, and I say, well, it's that elocutionary way that people talk in the 40s, the way that you know older actors were taught was the way you talk when you act. Gail Gordon is the perfect example of a man who drops all of his R's. Mrs. Ricardo, where did you get that car? Like Dick Van Patten. No, Dick Van Patten, it's New York. All right. Dick Van Patten is, (laughs) hey, Lucy, where'd you get that car? Which I feel like that's, (laughs) I I don't consider Dick Van Patten to be very, uh, even in the friggin' Spaceballs movie, he's like, Hey, it's my daughter's wedding day. I need to get a can of air. Well, 
There were your impressions of Gail Gordon and Dick Van Patten, ladies and gentlemen. It's like Rich Little is here. <laughs> Plus, Matthew's Lucy. I, I think that is a, a force of nature, your Lucy impression. You are the man of fives of voices. <laughs> well, um... Uh, of course, Gail Gordon was a longtime collaborator, and uh, Lucy originally had wanted him to be uh, Fred Mertz on uh, I Love Lucy. And I, I forget I forget what damn William Frawley knew where the bodies were buried or something, but he was already on like two sitcoms and doing something. He was already on a radio show and already on. He wasn't available. Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. But he is, he's not that far off in age from Lucy. He's only five years older than she is. But he always played some sort of authority figure over her. He was Mr. Mooney, her boss at the bank in the Lucy show. On Here's Lucy, he played Uncle Harry, allegedly her uncle. And I remember there was one TV special. Was it Lucy Goes to the White House? One of those hour-long specials where... The phone is ringing and they both come running in and almost knock each other over. And she's like, oh, <laughs> dad. He plays her father in one of those 1970s specials. It was like, you know, late 70s or early 1980. I think it's Lucy Goes to the White House. And it's like, girl, do you think that you look young enough to be his niece and or daughter? Really? The answer is yes. Lucy does think she looks young enough. <laughs> yeah. Even though her voice is two octaves lower than his. Um, so the, the other thing. The, okay. I'm, I got to pause here so we can talk a little bit more about scary Lucy. I had hoped we might be able to snag Ken Reed for this discussion. And sadly, he's already uh, scheduled. He's recording a show right now himself, he says. But um Let's let's go down now. We we are not here to pass judgment. We're not here to be just a, a couple of horrible looksist bitchy queens. We're not here to kick the elderly when they're down and probably have already broken a hip. But one does have to address Lucy's what's the nice word for ghoulish appearance? I mean. It's, there's just, there is not enough makeup. There are not enough filters for a woman who has smoked 40 packs of Camel cigarettes every day for the last 60 years of her life. There's just, there's just no way around it. Yeah. Not on TV anyway. No. And, and the, and the thing is, and I love the fact that of the sort of, you know, the, the wacky, sassy grandma traits they're trying to give her, that sort of, well, one of the jokes that we can play up is the how youthful and active she is. And she comes running in and is running around. It's got a Walkman on and she's like, she's dancing around to music. and For way too long. For way too long. But the audience is eating that shit up. And then she's, you know, kind of, and she's in her jog, like she was out running. One of the episodes, she's like, oh, I met somebody when I was out jogging and all that. So it's like, yeah, she's such an active, yeah. Okay, I guess we're not going to see her light up a cigarette during the show because we know that she, like, 
she she couldn't get through a, a three minute segment on the Tonight Show without lighting up a cigarette, could she? I don't think she ever smoked on the Tonight Show. I don't think she ever smoked on those. Wow, but um, man, but it's just she was known to be a smoker and a drinker. Good yeah. God! So uh, anyway, so there's there's that factor. So it's just doing all that does change one's anatomy. You are physically different when you are 75 years old and you've lived that kind of a life and done that to your body. The other thing is, and I really was like doing a lot of research about it. The other thing that is making her look so weird in this, so extra off, is she clearly had a brow lift at one point because her eyebrows are so high up on her forehead in their relaxed position. Like they are two inches above her brow bone. And again, the brow bone, it's called the brow bone because that's where your brows are supposed to be, FYI. And they're so high up. And that's an old drag queen trick. You always cover your own eyebrows and then draw them bigger, makes the eyes pop and all that. So I'm like, was that a makeup thing she did? I started looking at pictures of her from the era, looking at her in stone pillow where she went a lot without makeup. And did she, did she, I was, I was just going to say that too. No, there was no. some makeup on her there. Full false eyelashes. Yeah. <laughs> the entire movie. Don't give me that shit. She has more makeup on than I wear in drag in stone pillow. <laughs> As a homeless person, which, which was the year before this. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. That was 85, the year before this. But here's the deal. The eyebrows are asymmetrical, as, as are many things on all of our faces. I'm, I, I'm aware of the, the glass house from which I cast that stone about features being asymmetrical. Um, but they are asymmetrical and consistently so when you look at pictures of her from the time. So it's not like she shaved off her brows and drew on a new pair. These were her actual brows. There is hair and they are uh, always in the same place, which is too high. That to me says brow lift that they took a little too far. And we know she had had facelifts over the years. And thankfully had stopped doing that because at this point that just would have been, that would have been a, a nightmare to try and take age away from her at this stage of the game. But um, so the eyebrows are weird. And like you said, full face of drag makeup. They come down in one of the episodes in the middle of the night when the goose is keeping them awake, the goose is making noise. Yeah. She comes down in her pajamas, full face of makeup, full lashes. <laughs> Yeah. And and and, oof. and so with high eyebrows, that's a clown thing. That's what Ronald McDonald looks like. That's the thing that is making her look so off with this, you know, this bright, you know, fluorescent orange hair and these clown brows, the big gigantic lips with the big humps on them, which were always drawn bigger than her actual lip line. That was her thing. And it's just she's. Scary Lucy. Part of it is just, ugh. it's it's just the 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 natural and and altered anatomy of her face that's contributing to this 
this grotesque freak show that we are party to. Ouch. Yeah. Are you going to tell me about Harry Anderson? You you mean Larry Anderson? Thank you. I don't know. They're yeah. exactly the same person. And I couldn't find anywhere anything that said that they're related. I did find one article in one interview where this is the father. His name is Ted on the show. And the actor's name is Larry Anderson. And he is a tall, lanky, skinny, white guy. And we learn as the series progresses, he's actually a magician. So you're like, wait a minute, Larry Anderson doing magic? What is, so this is, this has got to be Harry Anderson's brother, Harry Anderson from Night Court, right? Especially since they are exactly alike. They, they look like they could be brothers. Yeah. No. Larry, the one on Life with Lucy, he is three weeks older than Harry Anderson. Three weeks, that's the only difference in their age. So they are the same age, same height, same type, and they're magicians, and Harry Anderson and Larry Anderson, and they are not related. It is just a coincidence. Isn't that freaky? I think that Harry Anderson's success killed Larry Anderson's success. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a redundancy. That's for sure. And uh, what was it I needed to say about him and about the, the woman who plays the mother? Um, yeah. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> they are. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I got to call it as I see it. They are not just bad. They are God awful. Even delivering the most banal, horribly written lines. I'll give it that. But when you have a line, you know, things like, Mom, don't you think you should slow down a little bit? They, they sound like the kids. They literally sound like the inflections are coached and, and almost mechanical the way that they are. It, it, it sounds like a spoof, like they're spoofing bad sitcom acting. And and it's kind of like okay, one thing I will not ever say to you here is that Lucy is Lucy is not a bad actress. Lucy's actually quite a good actress and does what she does very well. And I don't see anywhere why these people would feel the need to play things up and so broadly. Well, you know, Grandma, I could help you out with my magician act if you need something to do in the talent show. I. I I could not get over. Do you feel like they were trying to meet Lucy's level? But that's it. I don't feel like Lucy was at that level. I really don't. Gail Gordon was, but Gail Gordon is in a different place. That made sense that he 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 was always in that extended way. I'm happier today than I've ever felt in my life. <laughs> like he just had his own lane, his own groove, and he just fucking did it. And I guess credit to employing the elderly writers who always wrote for them. They knew how to write for that. But I mean, th there is just, there is no sense of groundedness from the parents. And I'm not saying they're bad actors. I'm saying the acting that they are doing on this particular show is terrible mm. there. Now the kids, Becky and Kevin are the kids. Becky is played by Jenny Lewis. 
Not to be confused with Jennifer Lewis. No, <laughs> no, no, no. They're very different. Jennifer Lewis, very different. Uh, Jenny Lewis uh, ended up leaving acting and went on to be a singer-songwriter and uh, works with the indie band Rilo Kylie. I have no idea what that means or what that that name means. I tried to look it up and I couldn't really find it and I didn't care enough to pursue it. Yeah. Kevin, the son, it's a sadder story. It's played by Philip J. Emilio II. First of all, not to take anything away from the tragic turn his life took, Philip J. Emilio II really needed a middle initial and you needed the second after it. I'm I'm talking to his parents now. It's like, Mm. really? His name just couldn't have been Philip Emilio. Really? That he needed that that just was so ridiculous and pretentious. Okay. The name is longer than the child is tall, for fuck's sake. But he would go on to other roles. He was on All My Children for three years after this. He retired from acting at 13. He studied education and ended up in New York as a full-time teacher and coach in his 20s. But then he passed away suddenly in April of 2005, complaining of a sore back. He was diagnosed with a bacterial infection of the heart valve, and uh, he did not come out of it. I think one article I read said that it had been initially misdiagnosed, and once they realized what it was, the infection had gone too far. And uh, yeah, he passed away at 27, Mm. which is just, holy shit. And then rounding out the cast, we have Donovan Scott playing... uh, the guy at the store. Oh my God, I didn't write his name down, but he's the the helper at the store, the sort of jolly, funny guy. He had been in the Police Academy movie, the first one, none of the sequels. And there was definitely plans to continue to use his uh, adeptness at physical humor. Uh, he does, there's one episode where he does a, a pratfall, like tripping over his own feet, like completely unwarranted and uncalled for. And he tripped over his own foot and did like a flip in midair and landed flat on his face. Like it was like, you know, a a Buster Keaton type of a level thing. It was like, oh, damn, it was it was really impressive. And I would have loved to have seen more of that from him. But music fans will recognize him from the Olivia Newton-John video for Let's Get Physical. He's the fat guy in green. She gets on the treadmill with him and then later is uh, attacking him on the massage table. He's the uh, most prominent and featured of the fat men in that video. Uh, Have you watched that video lately, Matthew? 1981's Let's Get Physical? No, I have not. Yeah. Very different messages one receives uh, 40 years later. Yeah. The whole thing of, first of all, aren't fat people clumsy and funny? Really? (laughs) And then guys who are super hot and in shape, well, all of them clearly fags. Yeah. Because they walk out arm in arm. And then at the end, after they walk out, which is a great twist. I mean, it's funny. And that was scandalous for 81. Oh, my God. And then at the end, she grabs the fat guy in the blue shorts and ends up going with him. So it's like, oh, good. You can get a pretty woman as a consolation prize. And yeah. don't worry about being fit because only only fags are fit, guys. You know, that's why I'm not fit. I don't want to fulfill that stereotype, you know. Yeah, same here. I can't be this funny and gorgeous, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
Donovan Scott still works in film and television and does improv on the stage. He's still out there. And the only other notable cast member is a little girl who is the friend of the daughter. Uh, you wouldn't recognize her. I wouldn't have recognized her had I not seen her in the credits. It's Kelly Martin. Kelly Martin, who would go on to be on Life Goes On, the Patti LuPone family show from the 90s. And then she'd go on to be one of the young doctors on ER, uh, up like 98 to 2000, I think. And uh, nowadays, she is the titular character in the Haley Dean Mysteries film series, which runs on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. Oh, good for her. Yeah. So you're ready to talk about the actual show shows, Matthew? The reason why we're here? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, this is what this is what our beloved Tutti Fruities, our beloved listeners, uh, pay the extra money for. You better and, edit that first bit down, that first hour and a half. You better edit down to fucking 10 minutes. I shall not. So let's break down the actual episodes then. And we don't need to do it in our classic standard style. It's uh, the first one is uh, episode nine. I, I jokingly put season one, episode nine, but there was only one season. Uh, Lucy and the Guard Goose. And uh, it was written by Bob and Madeline. And we're talking about them. These are the original OG Lucy writers, Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Davis. There had been a third writer, another Bob for the Lucy show, but I believe he had passed away. And, uh, but yeah, so they wrote this one. And it was directed by Peter Baldwin. I'm like, why is that name familiar? Well, he won an Emmy in 1989 for The Wonder Years. He had directed 10 episodes of The Wonder Years, 20 episodes of Valerie, 23 episodes of Newhart, 12 episodes of Bob Newhart, seven Brady Bunch episodes. And he directed the Brady Brides movies oh. and the... A very Brady Christmas Carol in 1988. <clears throat> and uh, he also had done Andy Griffith, Mary Tyler Moore, very long and impressive career, 111 credits in a nearly 40 year career. And this episode, it's, I mean, does this sound like an episode of the Lucy show or what? Uh, they wake up one morning over breakfast and they get word that the hardware store has been burglarized. So, Mr. I was going to say Mr. Mooney, let's just go there. Mr. Yeah. Mooney is too cheap to buy an alarm system. So, Lucy comes up with the idea that she got from a man that she met while she was jogging after two packs of cigarettes for breakfast. She suggests they get a guard goose. Like you do. Let's bring a goose into our store because it will defend all of our wears all of our inventory and then of course pandemonium ensues where the goose is aggressive and uh it ends up cornering uh curtis that's that's uh, gail gordon's name it ends up uh cornering him so that he has to climb up the ladder and is sitting on top of the shelves and he calls lucille to come down and help him we come back from commercial and she's sitting up there with him it's like a whole scene was skipped with that so uh they somehow accidentally almost kill the goose. So they're out of the clear. They're in, they're, they're in the clear. Now they can get out of the store and the goose is not a problem anymore. So they bring it fucking home with them. Yeah. And then the goose is in the kitchen and whoa, we can't go into our kitchen because the goose is aggressive. And uh, 
Now, it is true about, I believe, gooses. I know swans are very aggressive. Gooses? Geeses. <laughs> I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. I believe it is, at least I if it, I know it's true for swans. It might be the same for geese. Yeah, that, geese are bastards. Yeah, I believe that. So I think that's probably the only thing in this episode that rang true. But um, anyway, this is where the goose in the kitchen is honking and keeping them awake. And Lucy comes down in a full face of kabuki makeup. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, and the reason we watched this episode is because um, the cop, his, the cop, played yes. Looney Lou, who was also on the Golden Girls as Coco. He, that's right. That's right. He was Coco. Jesus Christ, David. Really? I know we, we I know we talked. We talked about that when when we talked about Looney Lou. I just uh, I, I knew he had just brain cells that don't talk to each other. But yeah, of course. Was that the only Golden Girls connection, or is this have the second one? Well, the second one is a regular. The girl who plays the daughter, Jenny Lewis. Oh yeah, was, she was um, the little sunflower girl that that held Rose's teddy bear, Fernando, for ransom. Oh, the one wow. where she grabs the teddy bear and life, sometimes life isn't fair, kiddo. And she shoves the girl out the door and keeps the bear. <laughs> I don't remember the. Again, I haven't watched the Golden Girls in quite a few years. I'm like, oh, treat yourself. So that's pretty much the plot. And we've kind of hit upon most of the major points in the earlier discussion about issues with the show and all that. And I will say that our friend who our friend Coco who plays the cop, lovely job, very small yeah. utilitarian thing. The 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 joke upon his entrance is Gail Gordon going on a rant and saying, "Where are the police? Never a cop around when you need one." And he's standing right next to him. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I, I, my, my Gail Gordon's going to go down with my uh, Conrad Bain impression. Yeah, it is dead on. Among, among my finest. <laughs> what, what's the thing the, like, like Carol Burnett, all my best, <laughs> the things that'd be David Almeida, all my passably mediocre. <laughs> so the next episode is a classic, David. A cult. It's a classic. Why do you say that, Matthew? It, it gets all of it gets a lot of your um sitcom favorite sitcom tropes all into one episode. <laughs> so you know what? Before we talk about that, can I actually go back and just touch on a couple of points from the pilot? Just other notes that kind of apply uh, apply to the series as a whole, because I wanna I wanna give episode thirteen its full due. Oh. Um, but the deal is, uh, number one, every episode, Lucy's entrance, applause. Like, the audience loses their fucking mind. No one else gets applause when they walk in. No. Not like Happy Days, where just a character walks in and they get applause. But it's like, oh my God. So we've got that. And particularly because it was the pilot, every little thing she did 
they lost their goddamn mind. She is Lucy, again, Lucy the health nut with the with her friggin' smoker's voice. She's like, I'm gonna eat this yogurt, wheatgrass, and bee pollen drink. And she drinks it and then does a Lucy face like it tastes terrible. And the audience has a conniption. Yeah. When she hams it up and, and does that at every turn, the audience applauds. Oh, what is this hardware store where they sell doormats and ice cube trays and a pasta maker? In the pilot, there's a bit with a pasta maker where it's put your dough in here, turn the crank and it, you know, shred. It's basically like a little shredder that makes the long linguine strips. Well, wacky premise, Gail Gordon gets his tie caught in it. Whoa. And again, the audience just has a hemorrhage and a stroke with how much they are so happy to see Lucy back doing what she does. I don't see how she would walk away from this experience thinking her fans had abandoned her as opposed to the network abandoned her halfway through a season and said, we're pulling the plug. Well, because the ratings went down so bad. But that's why you go on hiatus and retool a show. Nobody was watching. That's why she thought her fans had abandoned her. When reality, Lucy, your fans are dead. (laughs) No. I mean, yes, but no. Oh, my goodness. Ruth Buzzy does a walk-on in the John Ritter episode. And I'm like, I want more Ruth Buzzy in my life at all times in every show I watch from here until the day I die. I just want that stated. Put that out there in the universe. Any Ruth Buzzy is good Ruth Buzzy. More Ruth Buzzy is better Ruth Buzzy. Mm. Yeah. And the John Ritter episode involves him appearing in a play at the Pasadena Playhouse. And uh, one of the actors ends up getting injured. So Lucy has to go on in their place. And Oh, my God. And it's and it's what? It's hair. It's no. <laughs> no, she plays like a nurse wheeling a vet around, a, a, you know, a mental institution, you know, like a vet with PTSD in a wheelchair with a leg in a cast. And so it's a <laughs> chance for her to wheel John Ritter around and throw him and he flies off the stage and injures himself. And it's just that. Um, yeah. And by the way, they're in Pasadena, California. Lucy, minimum two layers, long pants, long sleeves at all times, usually a turtleneck to conceal her neck. Oh, yeah. In most cases in Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. California is known for the layered look, isn't it? Um. There's an episode where she dates Peter Graves, where I think he's uh, at least four decades younger than she is. Thank God he has silver white hair. But they have a scene at the kitchen table where the daughter's asking, so what's going on here? And they actually try to have a, a, a dramatic moment with an underscore. And Lucy starting to cry, saying, it made me remember how much I loved your father and that I'm not ready yet to be with someone else. And I'm just like, really? You, you wanted you th- you thought this was the way to kind of step outside the box on the show. Uh, you thought you had more problem with that than her 
um, Rex Harrisoning her way through Sunrise Sunset, oh, David. We are going to get there, my love. Well, Jesus, we that's the episode we're here to talk about. What the fuck are we talking about? All this other shit. Okay, I didn't know we were doing the whole fucking series. Well, we're not, but I'm just saying there are there are points. This is I've I've stated my thesis. These are now the bullet points that are backing up my my hypothesis here. But you're right. You're totally right. Let's get to episode 13. This one is called World's Greatest Grandma. And do you want to list all of the tropes that you know I hated about okay. this episode? Okay. One of them is um the talent show. Mm-hmm. In general. Um yep. the other one is um him coming out into the into the living room and going, ladies and gentlemen, presenting. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two that I noticed. Yeah. Putting on the magic show with her as the well, well, let's talk about the plot of this. It, it, here's the plot of this episode. And this is the last show they filmed. This was the last nail in the coffin. Ooh. It is discovered that everyone in the family, including the guy that helps at the store who just pops by for breakfast like you do and goes to the kids' soccer games like you do when you work for someone, everybody has a trophy of some sort that they won at some point in their life. And it quickly becomes Lucy being all, everyone has a trophy and I don't have one. I'm a failure. Other people achieve things and I never have. Well, lo and behold, the granddaughter enters her into, what's it called? The world's greatest grandma talent show at her school? Yeah, best grandma. Best grandma. It's a talent show. But it's for grandmas, you know, like they do. And <laughs> like you do. Like who who didn't enjoy a good grandma talent show every year at your grammar school, at your kindergarten? Why not do why why just the talent show? Why not yeah. just the talent show? I know. What the fuck? What the fuck? And so um, oh and Lucy, by the way. Her her not having the trophy, she's sad. But then in the next scene, she's just cranky. She's being a fucking bitch to everybody because she doesn't have a trophy. And anyway, uh, so then it becomes, well, uh, uh, you know, Lucy wants to enter the talent contest, but she realizes she can't sing. She attempts to dance to the delight of the audience. She attempts to do a... Uh, um, oh, oh, she tries to tap to way down upon the Swanee River. Nothing like the racist state song of Florida, our home state here, being sung on national television. We didn't quite gather the concept that it was racist, but it is. Look it up. Um, but she's doing it like a, a fake faux tap to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know she's on one hand hamming it up. But I'm thinking of the Golden Girls episode where Betty White and mm-hmm. Rue McClanahan actually tapped mm-hmm. because they actually tap. And Lucy is a dancer. Yeah. Lucy could have faked her way through a, a tap dance as as much as be as much as Rue McClanahan and Betty White did. Exactly. She was a Goldwyn girl. She had to go through yeah. all that shit in school. She had to go through all that training in her younger days at, at MGM. I'm just like, Lucy can't really do a, a, a passable fake bad tap. Like this was, this is like if Amy Sedaris 
was going to pretend to do a tap dance or, you know, Amy Sedaris would do a joke belly dance. Like it was just so beyond like, no. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. So then it becomes a, well, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't, I can't do anything. Blah, blah. So then that's where her son-in-law, this is the Harry slash Larry Anderson puts on an entire show in the living room for the family. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting Lucille Ball, supposed to be dressed as a magician, looking like a stewardess in a cape. And she goes into and does all of the standard old hat magic tricks, the newspaper cone, uh, being attracted to the spirits where she's got a fake hand holding up the screen. Which she completely shows the audience before she even... Yeah. There's there's a camera shot where it's like, oh, okay, well, we can, yeah. see, be, we can see behind this. So, Lucy, you're not great at magic either. <laughs> <laughs> and when she's ringing the bell, by the way, when she's got... She's holding up this screen that allegedly both of her hands right. are theoretically in view... And then her free hand behind the the little piece of fabric is ringed. As she's ringing the bell, it's being flung forward. It's like it looks. It's like if you were a dude, it would look like you were flicking your boner at it. Yeah. It was so oddly, disturbingly sexual. And the uh, anyway, but then uh, she does what happens: the old smash the gold watch in the little satchel, but yeah. she smashes. Curtis's actual gold watch. My watch. Ha, ha, ha. And it ends with her crying. With her doing her full-on Lucy cry. It's no use. I can't do anything. Except that's what it was 40 years ago. Now it's uh, I can't do anything. <laughs> and it's even more frightening. <laughs> and because she's doing the Lucy wah thing. Yes, it's it, it's no longer wah, it's wah. Anyway, thank God, Matthew, they figure out the perfect solution uh, because she's, the granddaughter is lying. She's, she's backed out of the contest when we come back from commercial. And uh, the daughter's friend, Kelly Martin's being a little bitch yeah. about her grandmother is part of a Dixieland band. And then she's like, uh, it's, I'm so sorry that you're going to be out of town caring for your sick brother. And Lucy's like, what in the shit are you telling her? And she's like, well, you're not going to be in the contest. And Lucy's like, I can't do anything. And the little girl cries. You could think of something if you cared how I feel. And runs up the stairs. Your impression of Jennifer Lewis is almost as good as your impression of Gail Gordon. Thank you. Living for it. Yeah. But then thankfully, Curtis has an idea. Why don't we, I'll let you talk for once in our lives, Matthew. Curtis Curtis says to to Lucy, um, reminds her of sing Rex Harrison and how he didn't sing at all. And has this great line right to Lucy's face. (laughs) <laughs> and you can't sing at all. <laughs> and it's like, bitch, she, no, she did a Broadway show. She did Mame. <laughs> now, yeah. you're te- now you're telling her she can't sing. Where yeah. were you? Where were you 30 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. before we had the onslaught of the cast recording of Mame, for God's sake. <laughs> 
Um, um, and uh, she has to decide what song she can Rex Harrison her way through. And by the way, Rex Harrison does sing. He does hit some notes and there is music in his performance. He doesn't only talk some of that he sh- stuff. He but- should have said, I don't know if you've seen this Bill Shatner recording. <laughs> because she doesn't Rex Harrison her way through this song. She goes on stage and sent <laughs> Bill Shatner sing. <laughs> And Bill Shatner's all over that stage. <laughs> she shats herself, yeah. To of all songs. Of all songs. Sunrise, sunset. Oh my God, which is a heart wrenching, horrific song. But from Fiddler on the Roof. Jesus Christ. And it's the it's the song that underscores the wedding, isn't it? When did she get to be so tall? (laughs) Wasn't it just yesterday when they were small? Sunrise. Yeah. And, And it's not a great, like, you know, Rex Harrison is talking. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? This yeah. verbal class distinction by now should be antique. He's, he's speaking in rhythm. He's speaking He's speaking in rhythm to a song <laughs> that's wordy as opposed to, is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at play? Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Drifting through the wind, wanting to start again. Mr. Tambourine Man. <laughs> I'm not sleepy, and there is no place I'm going to. Um, so she does that in, in the contest. With a straight we, face, like with, it's not for laughs. No. And they're showing people reacting to what is essentially a clown in the center ring crying. Exactly. Everybody else is laughing. And it's just, it's like, there are certain things that like, um, like Merman's last recording, the disco album. Yes. When she's singing, I got rhythm. The opening of it is slow and it's to a piano. Yeah. And it is heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. There is that final recording of Judy Garland where she's singing Over the Rainbow and it is heart wrenching. There is Liza anytime she shows up anywhere right now, <laughs> which is heart wrenching. Yeah. Marle- Marlena Dietrich's last thing was um, just a gigolo in 84 with David Bowie, where a hundred year old Marlena Dietrich made up like a goddamn clown is singing just the jiggawo everywhere <laughs> I go. People know the part I'm playing. And it's heart wrenching mm-hmm. because that song does encapsulate her. But then to see Lucille Ball, her last like quote unquote musical performance is her singing sunrise sunset like that is heart wrenching on completely different level than this sitcom ever meant it to be yeah yeah like they they knew they were going to tug at some heartstrings with this but it's just heartbreaking to yeah. watch it yeah oh, i i agree 
and and this is the final episode they recorded of the show and uh thank god when we come back from that to the next scene we find out that the it was actually the bagpipe player yeah who won she was a 90 year old bagpipe player and she played do you think i'm sexy yeah meaning the rod stewart song ha <laughs> ha but um but she didn't win thank god do you remember the episode of the Lucy show? I think this is back in the black and white Lucy shows where uh, they enter a female barbershop contest and they're all dressed as firewomen, Lucy, Viv, and just two other random bitches. Yeah. And it was a big, long fight of Lucy can't join this again. And they end up singing this arrangement of By the Light of the Silvery Moon, where Lucy is singing the lead and the other women are covering like yeah. it is anyone who understands music, you understand that this was an arrangement completely fabricated to act as smoke and mirrors for Lucy's limitations. And and I'm not one of those. It's like she can't sing. She's awful. She's terrible. She's fine. She just doesn't have a particularly pleasant voice, <laughs> but she can she can carry a tune. She does many, many times, including Mame. But that thing. And at the end of that show, singing this arrangement, which is nothing like a barbershop arrangement, at the end of it, they win the trophy. They win. That's like the final second of the. It's like, come on. <laughs> come on. So as I watched this, I thought to myself, is she going to fucking win with this? Are they going to? Are they going to try to write that? Like, we're going to believe that this. Thank God they didn't. Thank God. So how does the episode end, Matthew? Um, don't they give her a, a fucking trophy or something? Didn't the family buy her a trophy? Saying she's the world's greatest grandmother. Yeah. And the final line spoken by Lucille Ball in the final episode of her final sitcom is, oh boy, am I a winner? Oh. Yeah. I'll take uh, irony for 800, Alex. Um, if I could go back in the time, in time, if they knew that this was the last episode they were filming, I would have had her take that trophy. The family goes upstairs. I would have had her take that trophy, set it on a table, and then go to a cupboard and pull out an Emmy Award and just take, carry it upstairs. <laughs> Lights out. And there's your applause, Lucy. There it yeah. is. And have it be a cupboard full of her Emmys. A, yeah. a cupboard full of Emmys and have her take one of them. Yeah. Like, this is the one I'm going to sleep with tonight. <laughs> Beautiful. That so I'm, I'm with that. That is going in the time machine. Third and final Golden Girls reference. David. Oh, good. Thank you. I completely forgot. We got to talk about Michael Zorek, too. Is Michael Zorek a Golden Girls alum? No. No, not at all. How dare you? Okay. The jazz band that plays at the talent show. The, the Dixie Bells? Yes. They're on an episode of The Golden Girls. No! Yes. When? The Days and Nights of Sophia Petrillo, when they all think so, how sad Sophia is, and when they're just watching TV all day. And they're talking about how sad Sophia's life is that she's going to buy a nectarine. That's her whole day. But then you see her volunteering at the hospital. You see her um, leading a fucking 
um, band of old women on the boardwalk and it's that band of old women. Wow. <laughs> Damn. The drummer, the girl playing the clarinet, the girl playing the trumpet. Yep. All of them. And they ate up a chunk of screen time uh, <laughs> of, of running time of this episode. As far as they did the okay. better part of an entire song. Yeah. But we had to save time for Lucy to, to, to croak to her way through that to shatner through sunrise sunset and and finally the reason why we're here michael zorak we do need to remember to include him in this discussion <laughs> <laughs> michael zorak from the facts of life as i said he played victor uh he has literally a walk-on i think he has two lines it's ding dong he oh they open the door and he's like pizza delivery while they're in the middle of this conversation about, well, you have a trophy, you have a trophy. Everyone here has a trophy. And Lucy turns to him and says, I bet you probably even have a trophy too. And he turns to the room and says, delivery boy of the month. <laughs> so the idea is that it's not everybody, even the pizza delivery boy has a fucking trophy. And by the way, those are clearly prop pizza boxes that do not have any pizza in them. The way he's holding them, there is he's moving them a little too much. There's no weight to them. It's like it's like my coffee cup drinking from a glass where there's no yeah. liquid in it. A uh, thing that drives me crazy. So, um, yeah. Well, I think that's it, Matthew. I oh, mean, thank God. I I have a couple more hours of things I want to talk about before we leave. And uh, no, Oof. I don't. I think we've we've. I think we've covered everything. I think this is a deep dive. And uh, as I said, if you enjoy, and I'm sadly, I'm not one of these people. I don't really enjoy the old Lucy shows and the Here's Lucy's. They just, they, I appreciate Lucy's place in history. I appreciate a lot of the humor and the jokes in I Love Lucy, but it's not a show I gravitate toward and you know, it's just a different era, a different comic sensibility, just like the Three Stooges is of a of a bygone era. That's the same thing. So but if you like revisiting those older Lucy shows, honest to God, this is really not that much worse than them. It's just you have an entire audience of people terrified that Lucy's going to get injured when she ends up in a recliner that starts throwing her about and bending her in half and slamming her around. So, um, yeah, as long as you know going into it that they do not show any of her injuries on screen, likely you will enjoy these more than you think you will. Mm. I think that's it. How many uh, talkaholic chips are we going to give this one? Oof. Um... Is, it, is it five? I don't even know what our scale is. What is it? One out of, is it? Yeah, sure. I think it's a scale of five out of five talkaholic chips. I would give Life with Lucy three. Yeah, I'll give it three. Three. Yeah. Again, it is what it is of its time. And definitely points were deducted for it thinking that still belonged and was still relevant in 1986 when sadly it wasn't. But. That seems to wrap up another TV Talkaholics, August 2022. Thank you, dear 2D Fruities, for supporting the show. You know we so appreciate it. And we look forward to bringing you next month's show, what it's going to be. Nobody knows. Nobody. 
So until then, I will say to all of you, thank you, smooches, and goodbye. Mwah. Bye, David. I'm sorry. Bye, David. <laughs> Am I a winner? <laughs> and every day is better than keep on saying yes, I can. And every day is better than before. Oh, sir. Uh, no, more about gel coat. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. More importantly, 